Money Roots is made possible by the support of our sponsor, Rooted Planning Group. Are you ready to take control of your financial future? Look no further than Rooted Planning Group, your trusted partner in financial well-being. At www.rootedpg.com, you'll discover a wealth of resources and expertise to help you thrive financially. Rooted Planning Group specializes in personalized financial planning, investment management, and retirement strategies. They understand that every financial journey is unique, and they're here to guide you every step of the way. With a team of experienced advisors, Rooted Planning Group is committed to helping you cultivate a secure and prosperous future. Visit www.rootedpg.com today to learn more about how Rooted Planning Group can help you grow your money roots. Every week, it's my goal to share the story of someone's journey through their life and financial vineyard. We take you from their roots to the journey of their vines and the influences in the air that help craft their delicious lives. Like wine, life and finances have different palates that should be celebrated and not judged. Welcome Wine and Dine listeners. This episode is a very special episode with a colleague of mine in a different country. In fact, I like to joke and say, I recorded this podcast yesterday when it was actually today. You'll notice that when Paul and I get into the discussion that we talk a lot about his new book. Yes, he has a new book. And although he's from Australia, the core meaning of the book is the same no matter where. Money is money is money. We hope you find this podcast enjoyable and we will definitely have some links in the show notes to his book if you're if you are interested. So stay tuned. We hope you enjoy. Sit on back and sip on your favorite beverage. Hey, Paul, welcome back to the show. We're so glad to have you. Hey, thanks very much, Amy. Great to be back on. Hey, before we get started, uh, I want to know, have you uh, encountered any good wine recently <laughs> that you want to share? I must admit, I, I, I've been more into the beer of recent times, <laughs> which is which is not right for wine and dine. I should have I should have prepared, shouldn't I? Okay. Um, but no. No, I've just been it's enjoying the lagers recently. Lager. Okay. Do you have a particular one? Uh, there's a James Squire one that I've been enjoying just recently. I couldn't tell you the full name. I don't know. It's got a blue label, but it's quite nice. So I went and bought another half dozen just recently. Well, you guys are in lockdown again uh, down in Australia. So, um, you know, beer is important. <laughs> yeah, that, that's right. Yeah, certainly the, the whole country isn't in lockdown, but where I am in Melbourne is right now. Yeah. So I want to dig in. I want to say thank you, first of all, for being back on the show uh, and sharing the new book that you actually um, just uh, have coming out. Um, see, the release date is, is it next week? Uh, well, it should be. It's out now. Yep. Yep. It's oh, out now. I was thinking mm-hmm. it was coming out next week. Well, anyways, the book is called Financial Autonomy. And the subtitle is The Money Book That Gives You Choice, which for those of listeners that have been long-term listeners, you know, one of the things that I always say is having education around money empowers you because it, it, you know, that you have those different choices. So I love the subtitle because it just, uh, reactivate some of the things that I've said over time. What what made you decide to, to write this book, by the way? Yeah, well, uh, I guess the starting point was that a, that a publisher approached me and, and asked me about writing a book. So that was pretty lovely just to be asked. Uh, as you mentioned, um, I think you touched on, uh, yeah, I've got a podcast called Financial Autonomy that I've been running for about three years. So I guess there was a bit of a, a track record there. And that's what uh, created the opportunity. Um, I do do a bit of writing. Well, I have a weekly newsletter that comes out, but I do a bit of writing for some national newspapers and things uh, periodically. So I guess I'd, I had a few runs on the board in demonstrating mm-hmm. that I was able to write. Uh, and so, yes, yeah, so I had that approach from the, the uh, publisher. And so we a little bit of back and forth as to what the book would be about and how we'd structure things. And, uh, and yeah, it all just sort of evolved from there. And I, I guess it's Look, it wasn't something that I sort of 
lay awake at night thinking I must write a book, but in the back of my mind, I always thought it'd be nice to get that opportunity one day. So, um, so yeah, when that opportunity was presented, I was pretty keen to grab it. When you, um, because when you, when we did the crossover podcast earlier this year, uh, this was pre pandemic that you and I spoke and, um, we were talking about leading up to, you know, 2020 and all the exciting things that, you know, we sort of saw in the, the coming hmm. year. I mean, catch us up to what's been going on and, and what, you know, like when you wrote this and the thoughts around it a little bit along those lines as well. Yeah. So look, I, I wrote this mainly over, over our summer period, which is predominantly January. Um, we sort of close the office and the schools close and that sort of stuff generally close up a little bit before Christmas and then and then at summer break, uh, most offices are back sort of mid-January and schools are back at the end of January, early February. So, uh, so I had a few weeks there and uh, so that was kind of nice. I could uh, just spend a few hours each morning before well, before, before most of the household was out of bed and uh, and have a bit of quiet time. So I probably got two-thirds of it done uh, over that summer break, uh, pretty concentrated. Sometimes I'll sort of come back to an evening too and do a bit of proofreading and things. And then once the office reopened and you get back into the swing of, mm-hmm. of working life, it, it slowed down quite a bit, of course. Uh, but I guess I had it, I had the first draft done by sort of I think the end of March, something like that. Uh, and then it was editing and, and, and back and forth really from there until we were ready to uh, to get it to the printers. So, um, yeah, it was good fun, and, but it was certainly starting it with no uh, idea of the pandemic happening and then, of course, the pandemic kind of unfolded as mainly as we were going through that editing process. So we're at least able to acknowledge COVID a little bit in the book. Hmm. Well, so um, first of all, impressive that you did the majority of two thirds of that in like two weeks, I have to say. Probably, yeah, it was yeah, it's, it's three weeks more realistically. But yeah, no, it was good to just have some dedicated time without anything else. And yeah, you could really focus on it. So that worked well for me. When you were um, planning out the book, um, because normally when we talk about, you know, people's journey to doing something like this, I mean, obviously somebody approached you, as you said earlier and said, Hey, would you be interested in doing this? But you've done some writing in the past. Uh, Had you ever thought about writing a book prior to somebody approaching you? Yeah, I had, but I guess I couldn't see a, a straightforward way to make it happen and I didn't quite have the energy to <laughs> to figure it out, you know. The idea of self-publishing seemed kind of hard and uh, and the idea of hunting down a publisher also seemed uh, a bit daunting too. So, yeah, as I say, I was, was open to the idea but I hadn't really made any great effort to sort of bring it to life. So when you first were approached and you started talking about the different ideas, because the book is broken down into basically five parts. Um, One is defining success, which I love the title of that, by the way. I I mentioned to you earlier before we started recording that I love the cash flow section, Mm. but I did love the, the, the definition or the name of the the part one, which was define success, because yes, we talk about setting goals all the time, but I think by saying, let's define what's, what this looks like, what, what would be successful to you? That's such a, a higher level, level idea of, of setting goals. It's defining somebody's life success. And then part two gets into cash flow. Uh, and then part three actually talks about investing in stocks. Part four goes on to investing in property, which a lot of people have questions about right now, by the way. Mm. And then part five is in self-employment, which is, I think, a really scary thing for a lot of people. So when you broke it down into those five different sections, was was it something that the publisher was interested in? Or did you say, you know, these are the five areas that a lot of people have questions about? Yeah, so that that was a framework that I I had already developed. Uh, I guess that was something as part of the the idea of financial autonomy um, that, that yeah that that I had pre existing. So yeah, to break that down, it's that that first step of defining success and and being clear on your goals, as you mentioned. Then there's the cash flow element because uh, you know fundamentally, if you're spending more than you're earning, well, you just can't get anywhere in terms of your goals and and. Uh, to the extent that you can maximise your savings, then you can accelerate your progress towards your goals too. So the cash flow element is pretty central. And then we have those three pathways that you just touched on there, um, investing in stocks, investing in property or real estate, 
uh, or being self-employed. And those those pathways and, and the proposition is that people who I've seen uh, have success in gaining choice in life, which is our overall objective, uh, have pursued at least one of those three pathways and most commonly two and, 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 and sometimes all three. Uh, and so, uh, that's been something. So, uh, just for, for listeners maybe that didn't catch our previous episode, I've been a financial planner for 20 years. So, this framework has come about through my observation of what I've seen, uh, you know, clients do and where I've seen success. And um, I, I guess, yeah, it was it was reflecting on all. All right, who are the clients that I've dealt with for a long time? Who do I think has gained choice and has had success in life? And how is that, you know, reverse engineering that right? Uh, and so very often uh, the self-employment route, you know, owning a business, selling a business, this type of stuff often set them up financially, but certainly property investment uh, and investing in stocks are other important uh, streams. And I guess um, feedback that I had received and, and, and particularly since the book's been out is that, um, you know, there are books about investing in stocks or there are books about investing in real estate. Uh, but mm-hmm. there are not many that bring it together and certainly not many that reflect on the potential for self-employment as a pathway towards mm-hmm. uh, financial success. So, so, and that sort of feeds back, you touched on earlier, that subtitle, The Money Book That Gives You Choice, um, something that I, I, I've observed and, and feel very strongly about, and Amy, I know, I know you feel the same way, is that um, sometimes the, the, the money guru type people will sort of try and present that this is the way you must do it. You know, I've got the the secret and, and follow my, my special recipe and you're guaranteed success. Well, having worked with people for a long time and observed what, what works and what doesn't, there is no one right way. And so that's why in this sort of framework and having these three pathways, stocks, real estate, self-employment, um, it's acknowledging that there is no single uh, uh, success path that that you have choices and what works for some people as you say for a lot of people self-employment is really daunting and, and 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 not appealing at all and depending on your career of course it might not be an option anyway I mean if you're a, a firefighter or a nurse you're not going to be self-employed anytime soon so um, it's not for everybody but that's kind of the what I hope comes across is that well there's these three potential pathways and we've got some tools to help people identify maybe uh, which pathway might suit them best, um, but y- you can choose, you know. So, uh, yeah, that, that's that's what we're trying to achieve. The word choose keeps coming up, and um, I want to dig more into the book just a little bit mm. without giving too much away because I do want people to read it with their own uh, set of glasses instead of my set of glasses, you know, from their angle. But one of the things that struck me was right out of the gate, under the area that you've titled a new focus, there was a part that made me chuckle almost immediately. So if a book could catch me and make me, especially a financial book, can can make me chuckle like right out of the gate, then I'm going to keep reading, right? That's a lot better than putting you to sleep. So I'm pleased. (laughs) One of the things that you said, uh, being financially wealthy, rich in the classic Scrooge McDuck sense is not the endpoint most of us seek, which is so true. And, and the Scrooge McDuck was the part that kind of made me chuckle uh, a little bit. But, but the point was, it's not the end point that most of us seek. Most of us, uh, and, and you go on to say what we're actually seeking is choice. And that is so true. Like I can think when I started my business, I wasn't seeking, I, I didn't start my business because I wanted to be filthy rich. I started my business because I didn't like the way I was doing business within our profession. And I wanted choices to actually be able to go south in the winter and be north in the summer. I, and, it, you know, that would I say choices about three different times just there. Mm. It was really about choice. And then, um, you know, and you, you actually point that out. Choices where we live, choice where we retire, choices about income producing activities we're involved in, uh, choices about ways we use our money to produce happiness. Now, that one... I just paused when I read that sentence. And so for the listeners, this is like page one of the book. <laughs> you know, we're not even into like the part one yet. We're just in the the preface basically of, of the book. And, you know, as I read 
you know, read more, you, you then go on to say, that's why this book is called Financial Autonomy, because, you know, it's, it's about choices. And so I really wanted to hone in on that just a little bit yeah, look, more. Yeah, thanks for picking that up, Amy. And it's, it's something that, yeah, I feel really strongly about. And I think it's the whole idea of, of financial autonomy and perhaps where it steps away a little bit from financial independence that we, t- you know, hear quite a bit in the FIRE movement and some of those type of things. But, and financial independence is, is a great concept um, but essentially, it, it, in its purest form, at least, what it means is that you've got a not a, a, enough assets throwing off income that you don't need to get out of bed, right? You, you, your investment assets cover all your needs and, and you don't need to work. And the reality, and, and again, just from my experience dealing with people over a long time, is that maybe that's attainable for someone when they're 70 or something like that, but there's not very many people for whom that's attainable uh, in their 30s or 40s, let's say, and, and especially if they've got a family. Mm-hmm. Whereas the idea of financial autonomy, exactly as as you've given your example there, it need not be, well, I've got a $2 million share portfolio and a couple of rental properties. You could be gaining choice and and, and, and therefore happiness and, and, and fulfilment. Mm-hmm. Your objective could be around flexibility, exactly as you've pointed out mm-hmm. there. You wanted to be able to split your time between the north and south of the country. Uh, and so to acknowledge that and to think, all right, well, what strategies, what can we do to achieve that really opens up a whole lot of more, a whole lot more potential um, and just some fantastic life outcomes, I think. And so, yeah, broadening it out from this, um, what we need to do is accumulate a whole lot of wealth and then we've got choice. Well, that's not the case. The financial piece definitely has to be solved, of course, but it doesn't necessarily have to be solved by uh, building up this great war chest, which mm-hmm. to do that generally means, I guess, delaying uh, what you want to do and, mm-hmm. and and there's a balance to be struck there. But, you know, some good planning and some good good thinking uh, can certainly create opportunities perhaps earlier in life. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and you're a wonderful illustration of that. Well, yeah, I mean, I just, you know, I love what I do, first of all. So I just, I, that's a piece of it. So I knew that I didn't want to retire at the typical, you know, age. I just, so at the time that I made the decision to go independent, I was 44 years old and I sort of looked at, <laughs> looked at myself in the mirror and said, pull your big girl panties up and do this because if you don't do it now, <laughs> you're never going to do it. You know, I mean, I, I was, I was looking at, well, could I retire at 55, but I didn't really want to retire at 55. I just didn't want to do it where I was doing it. I wanted enormous flexibility because that was important to me. And one of the things that I, uh, again, this is actually before we get into the thick of the book, there was so much in that, you know, initial content section where you actually go through a little quiz that talks about the um, pathway that's right for you. You mm. mentioned it just a little bit. Um, so when I took that uh, quiz, cause I thought, Oh, what that, you know, what, what would my financial yeah. autonomy be? The interesting thing is um, I think it probably can change throughout the course of your life, yes. you know, because, because I definitely came up with C's mostly C's. So right. I'm on the right track. So right? I'm on the right track. Yeah. 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 C's were, were self-employment. But, but then I followed, uh, I guess my second one was, was B's. So for me, the idea of investing in property, I think, um, to a certain extent takes away from freedom and it's a mindset for me more than anything. Um, pa- passive income I know is great for some people and they absolutely love it. Passive income from real estate or, you know, investing in property, uh, is great for some people, but my, my mindset was if I own, you know, I think if I own that property, then that feels like I, sh- it feels like it would tie me down more. So it's, I think that's a piece of it too. Um, now that might not be true for everybody. They might have a completely different mindset of, of how they approach investing in property. But I thought it was interesting as I walked through that quiz to see, hmm, should I, should yeah. I still be self-employed? <laughs> Oh, well, but it, but it's pointing you. That was the predominant one. It was pointing you to. So that was that was good as good validation. But uh, <laughs> but but again, that what you just expressed there again highlights this importance of of choice, right? Of yeah. Um, for some people, property investment is their, be their absolute central mm-hmm. yes strategy and solution, and they love it. Uh, but it but it's not the right solution for everybody, and so. To say it's either right or wrong is is 
too black and white. It's right for some people. It's right. It's not right for others. And, and it's a matter of you finding your own path. And I think that happiness comes with you finding your own path. Like if I had, if I had taken that quiz and the, um, it came out with all A's, which is the property investment, I would have thought, really? I mean, <laughs> just would have. <laughs> but I think it's a great, uh, for people that, you know, are looking for something different because I, I wanted to point out as I was preparing for the session, one of the things that I wanted to mention, I don't know if you've heard a lot of during this pandemic is that a ton of people are questioning the career that they're in or potentially the company that they're in, you know, or do I love what I do? Do I, can I do this for another X years? I want to make a change. You know, they don't know what the change is, but they want to make a change. They're just unhappy. They, this time that we've sort of quote unquote slowed down a little bit has created some unhappiness that, or recognition of some unhappiness that um, people are experiencing, right? So uh, the kids aren't being taken to the soccer games. Uh, they're not running from here, running from there. There's been time to sort of think so I thought, you know, is, this is a perfect time to be doing these kinds of sort of quizzes, if you want to call it that, to, to get your mind and your body and your spirit around what you might want to start planning to do uh, moving forward. So walk us through uh, some of your thoughts that you want to really make sure people dig into. Uh, the book is about 224 pages in total, but don't get scared by all of those because it, like you said, it really can be focused in a particular area. You don't have to read the whole book, but make sure you check out, make sure you check out the back pages because there's tons of, of uh, worksheets and um, guidance, I guess you want to say in those, those back pages. So kind of walk us through a little bit of your mindset behind how you positioned the book in the different chapters. Yeah. So, so as I touched on it, very much working to that framework and through each section, there's a, a diagram with, I guess, a bit of a you are here type map uh, showing that framework so that readers that. can be really clear as to, okay, here's the way we're progressing through through this. Um, and so, so as I touched on, you know, identifying goals and we've got some exercises there around uh, prioritizing your goals because it's, it's interesting and, and no doubt you find this too, Amy, but in working with clients in a financial planning context, um, very often, for instance, the first goal might be, well, I want to pay off the mortgage, which is a totally sensible mm -hmm. goal. Um, but then when we actually work through, you know, they've got some other objectives and maybe a renovation, a family holiday, those type of things. Um, and then we do a prioritization exercise around that. We very often find that well, actually, sure, we want to pay off the mortgage, but that's actually about number four on the list of priorities. You know, there are some other things that are maybe a bit more time critical that we need to get onto. Um, also, a little bit of work on on the idea of, of asking why, which, you know, there's YouTube videos as far from an original concept, but um, sometimes that can be really helpful too. So, you know, thinking about as an example, okay, objective is I want to pay off the mortgage, right? Well, well why do you want to do that? Well, because um, it, it, it gives me more flexibility if I didn't have to make those, those debt repayments every month. Um, okay, well, why do you want that? Well, because maybe I want a career change or, or these type of things. Mm -hmm. you know? so, so just delving in a little bit below the initial knee-jerk reaction objective, I think is quite helpful. So, so that's something that, that we explore quite a bit early on. Cash flow, uh, I sort of touched on the importance of that earlier. And again, that, that idea of choice, we've got six different uh, you know, cash flow type strategies and we've got a, a, another sort of questionnaire there to help direct you to one that's most likely to suit you. But again, very keen to not sort of say, this is the way you must budget. Uh, mm -hmm. that, that recognizing that the engineer might like their their spreadsheet and want everything down to the dollar, uh, but the vast majority of of, of everybody else uh, would want nothing to do with that. And so thinking about some other strategies there. So reverse budgeting, yeah, 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 yeah reverse budgeting, <laughs> that sort of stuff. So um, so we've got a few different ideas there to try and optimize cash flow, which is really about maximizing your savings. Uh, and then and then we move into those pathways that we've spoken about stocks property uh, self-employment um, and I want to yeah. take a step back real quick if mm -hmm. we can uh, you you mentioned six strategies to maximize your savings um, in the book and and you have a, a quiz kind of a self-assessment uh, cash flow management quiz that that's in the book as well and 
um, I, I liked the way that you talk about different budget strategies for people because uh, like you just mentioned, uh, different people feel comfortable with different strategies. And uh, I had never heard of the 50, 20, 30. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I read that and I'm like, I've heard of, you know, the 10, 10, 80 or, you know, different ones, but I'd never come across the 50, 20, 30. So would you maybe just take a few seconds to sort of explain that one? Not that this is right for everybody, but this is just one that I hadn't heard of. Yeah. So, so that's a nice one that's easy to implement. Uh, and the concept is that you divide up your income. Uh, 50% is for normal living expenses. 20% is for your bills, uh, or beg your pardon, 20% is for savings and 30% is for your bills. Uh, and the the idea is that you don't have to go back and look at your bank statements for the last three months and, and see where, what you're spending where, that it's just a relatively simple uh, approach that you can implement pretty well immediately. Generally, you'd have separate bank accounts just so you can partition those, those sums mm-hmm. of money off. Um, but of course, the nice thing is you've got a bills account there. So when you get the gas bill or the electricity bill or something, uh, the money's sitting there ready to go. Uh, But yeah, it doesn't require a deep analysis that maybe a a bucket strategy or some of the others might need, nor does it require you to be tracking how much you spend on a coffee each day Mm -hmm. or anything like that. So um, Yeah, so you automated the savings by 20%, just saying, okay, the rest of it is for uh, debt and the other stuff is for like everyday living expenses. And right. vacations, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of people, I think that that you know to, to have three separate accounts uh, isn't un, unheard of, and most no. people do. So it's a very of all of the strategies to me, that's one that seems really simple to follow. Because also, when you think about direct deposit uh, with your, if, assuming you're not self-employed, but even if you are paying yourself on a regular basis, if you're self-employed, it's so easy to do direct deposit into three separate bank accounts. That's right. Yeah. Automation's your friend, isn't it? When you're trying to achieve some of these type of things. So, So yeah, the more you can get that sort of thing set up, the better. So I just wanted to, I wanted to hone in on that just a little bit, because again, I hadn't, I hadn't heard it in that method. So I uh, just wanted to phase that. And, and you've got, there's a bunch more um, where you dig into that just a little bit more in those different, based on the way that you walked out of that strategy, that self-assessment, some, mm. some different ways to budget that might work for you. So, um, so I didn't, before you, I, before you moved on, I wanted to make sure that I honed in on that because a lot of people are looking for that. They're looking for budgeting strategy, but you know, some want a super, super easy one and some like, you know, they want detail. <laughs> yeah. And probably the other thing just before we step off that too. Um, so a couple of points for one, many people, the word budget has negative connotations. Yeah. It's sort of, oh, here comes the fun police, you know, who, who wants to deal with that? Um, and a large part of that is a perception that to have a budget does mean tracking every dollar that you spend. Uh, and so as you've highlighted with the 50, 20, 30, but in fact, uh, I think it would be the case with five out of six of them don't require you to track every dollar that you spend. Uh, certainly not as you're spending it anyway, maybe afterwards. So, so that's an important message to get across that budgeting uh, doesn't have to be hard. Uh, there are strategies that are, um, uh, yeah, are not going to make your life miserable. So, yeah. so first, first well, point to get across um, and probably, um, oh, sorry. And now I've lost, lost my train of thought on the second oh, one. You were no. about to say something, Amy. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you and, no, no. and lose your train of thought. That's why we stopped calling them budgets and started calling them spending plans. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, yeah. So that's a good point. So that, that was where I was getting to. That's where I try and talk a bit more about cash flow for the same reason. Um, it doesn't have that negative connotation, but also um, it's important to recognize it's not just about spending, it's also about income. So another way that you could improve your financial position, improve your savings capacity is to increase your income, which might be about going for promotion or doing some study and increasing your skills or uh, looking for a new job or a second-time job or, or these type of things. So, um, yeah, the income piece is, is worth considering as well, not just, oh, I've got to curtail my spending. So um, so I think for that chapter, like that that had a lot of meat into it. And I think for people that are looking for options, they 
they, that's a great chapter in and of itself to sort of um, focus in on and really digest and, and think about your own preferred method. Because I, like you said, I think a lot of people pick up a book like this and say, okay, um, they're going to teach me everything I need to know. <laughs> um, and it's, this is the best way to do it. Mm-hmm. Giving, I loved that it continued the theme of choices is what I'm getting at. Um, right. You know, it just, it gave, gave people options as to, to build their own spending plan around the way that they're going to stick to it because that's the key, right? That's, that's, wrong. that's the key to a successful spending plan is that somebody actually sticks with it. And that's, yeah, and that's, again, just dealing with, with clients on an ongoing basis. I have come across people who've come in and, oh, you know, I read such and such a book and I implemented this strategy and I lasted two months and then uh, the car needed $2,000 of repairs and, and I couldn't stick to it and it just, you know, I threw my hands up in the air and gave up. And so, again, that's where I, I hope that, that the contents of the book is is really valuable in that it's not just theory or or ideas that have popped into my head, but it's actually, I'm conveying what I've seen work and, 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 and I guess identifying what doesn't work for people and therefore trying to, to have solutions. So yeah, hopefully it, uh, it's, it's practical and useful for people. So now digging into where you were going before I rudely pulled you back and said, wait a minute, you forgot to do the part. (laughs) Um, the, you, you talked about getting into, you know, the, one of the strategies between, uh, invest, which is investing part, you, you have a section about stock market foundations. I loved the word foundation, number one. That was something that stood out to me uh, when I was reading, reading through because um, I think where, a, in my experience anyways, I think where a lot of people get are fearful is they don't get the foundations. We, we weren't, we didn't, we weren't born to understand this. We weren't born to understand finance. We weren't born to understand how the stock market worked or what the foundations were. And a lot of times um, that, that basic education is left out. You know, it starts in the middle, invest in these companies because they're you know, this is where you have the biggest growth, but there isn't a f- clear understanding. And, and that creates fear whenever there's something else going on, whenever there's a correction or, or something like that. So you went in, you, you, you spent time really digging into how stocks make you money, which I thought was fabulous. Thank you very much for right. doing that. <laughs> Uh, is that again something that you know? Over time, you've just had a lot of clients ask you these questions, and you thought, "Hey, you know, like I said, nobody taught you this. It, this isn't a class that a lot of people take unless they're interested in finance for some reason." Yeah, and 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 I think partly what you might be referring to there too is is with stocks. Very often, the focus is around the price movement, um, mm-hmm. which which of course is. The, potentially the most exciting or the most headline grabbing. But, well, for one, there's dividends a part of your return and they shouldn't be ignored. But the other element that I feel is often overlooked, and particularly when you compare uh, property investment and and stock investment, when you own a property, stuff naturally wears out and eventually you need to replace the kitchen or replace the bathroom or whatever. Um, hopefully the value of the land increases because you can't create any more land, but the physical property itself wears out over time. Um, you compare that to property and, and sometimes people will, why does, the, why does the price naturally go up over time You know, on average? Um, there is actually some really good logic to that. And that is because when a company makes a profit, it doesn't pay all of its profit out as dividends. It retains uh, a certain portion of its profits. And some companies, the most extreme of which is Apple, retain enormous amounts of profit. Over $200 billion is is sitting uh, in the bank for Apple, which is just mind-boggling. Um, so, so companies are making a profit. The vast majority of them are making a profit. They're paying out some proportion of that in dividends, but they're keeping a significant proportion within the business and they're using that then to, to research new products or to, to expand in some way, to take over a competitor or whatever. So when you're buying stocks, you're getting an, an, an inbuilt compounding because the business in its own right is reinvesting back in itself. Uh, and so there's some just absolute logic to why that should be increasing in value over time. It's not some 
magic and it's not all about speculation and these sort of things. There's just an inherent financial logic to why there should be growth there. And and and, and that's a point that I think is very often overlooked. Uh, I think almost always <laughs> overlooked. <laughs> mm. I mean, I just, uh, you know, people right now in the U.S. anyways, you, a lot of the questions we're getting is around uh, what the election will cause the stock market to do. That has nothing to do with the profitability of the companies. No, no. But it, if, if I guess it affects sentiment and protect, potentially it affects consumer demand, doesn't it? So uh, it's, it's not totally I, illogical. I, I, I suppose to a certain extent, I mean, when we look at the statistics, though, we look at what history has shown us, it, it really, there isn't really much of a difference as to who's elected. Now, I'm not saying that there isn't public policy that ultimately drives, you know, the growth of the market overall, but companies are intelligent. They understand and learn how to work around or with the rules and regulations that get passed. So even if there's a potential regulation that's going to hurt, quote unquote, a particular industry, you, they're dynamic. Yeah. And, <laughs> Companies and, and are dynamic. And it's, I mean, the current pandemic obviously has nothing to do with, with who was in power at the time. Uh, and then you've got, I mean, if, if you went back to the global financial crisis a decade or so ago, um, and I'm no scholar on this, but from the readings that, that, that I've done, um, that really flowed from change in regulation, but that change in mm-hmm. regulation was was perhaps a decade earlier. So again, the event wasn't linked to who was in power at that particular time. Right. Um, right. So yeah, the, you're right. It is interesting that um, the degree of focus on it on political change when, as you say, businesses are likely to just keep on ticking on, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. And I and the fact that you got into you know some of the like what's an exchange traded fund and what do brokers do and what do stock markets do? I mean, those are all really important questions that people, if they haven't been asking, should be asking. So um, we'll dig into um, even the investment selection and strategy section just a little bit. Uh, I don't want to give too much away here because and, and I just think there's too much content around it, but. Um, You've given some framework to that when people uh, are trying to do it themselves a little bit. Um, you've given some framework as to how they might be able to put a, a bit of that together and even dig into that PE ratio and dividend yield and what those a little bit behind what those are. Uh, but I also... Um, I also think a lot of people, when they're looking at most people that are investing, they're looking at that mutual fund or ETF uh, global perspective <laughs> versus um, individual stocks uh, as a as a general investment. But still, the information is there uh, because one of the things that you point out is that there's a difference between investing and trading. Yep. Yeah, so that's right, and and I guess I, I'm an advocate, and, and I'm sure you would be too of, of the investing rather than the trading. The trading is the speculating, uh, and and given that our whole purpose is to try and get people towards their goals, um, then what we want to do is is try and develop strategies that have the highest degree of certainty of of arriving at that goal. So, mm-hmm. short term speculation, hey, maybe it does really well, and and. Y- you know, you buy the next Amazon and 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 it rockets, but maybe it does nothing <laughs> too. So, uh, so what we're looking for is certainty, and and so or the highest degree of certainty. There's no certainty mm-hmm. in life, of course, but the closer mm-hmm. we can get, the better. And so that's where, as you touched on, mutual funds, ETFs, these type of things, where you've got a diverse portfolio, you get a more reliable outcome. Uh, and so for for a lot of people, that will be the solution. And um, we touched on in that strategy, um, that core satellite approach, Amy, that I'm sure mm-hmm. you'd be familiar with, but uh, perhaps a lot of readers haven't necessarily come across. Mm-hmm. But that idea of of having some central uh, investments, perhaps ETFs, for instance, that are, you know, for instance, might cover the S and P 500. These type of things that are just good central core holdings, and you, and you tend to have the bulk of your wealth in those type of holdings. But you might have some smaller little bets, if you like. Uh, on perhaps some individual stocks or maybe some mm-hmm. some ETFs that are uh, in a particular sector or a particular geographic region where you just have a belief that um, there's some interesting opportunities potentially there. So I think that core satellite approach can be really useful for people because it ensures then that 
um, if they have got some some interest, uh, they can have a go at that without it potentially jeopardising the, the the overall uh, mm-hmm. portfolio and and then the, the, the progress towards their goals. Mm-hmm. And then when we talk about when you talk about moving into uh, sort of the Chapter six in the property cash flow and debt. That's that's those people that responded uh, highly on the A side that I mentioned earlier. Uh, I thought again, kind of made me chuckle. You're right. Everyone needs a place to live, and you can. It's with the it's one place that you can use other people's money to leverage your returns. <laughs> so that's really the key with property, isn't it? The the, the, lev- the ability to leverage uh, that you can't so easily do in stocks. Uh, right, it's yeah. a bit more challenging and and a bit more risky, to be honest. Um, you it's, know, property- it's interesting that, isn't it? You know, because really. Your stock portfolio is far more diversified, and whereas a property you're relying on a single tenant, um, and really and a single geographic location and the growth and the population growth and, and the things that, that that flow from that. So, if if you looked at it dispassionately, really the stock investment is the lower risk. But it's interesting mm-hmm. that from a from a leverage point of view, from a borrowing point of view, you're right. It, it uh, Banks are far more comfortable. There's a physical asset there. They know that if things go pear-shaped, they can always take the property back. They can take it with them, yep. <laughs> um, it's, 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 it's interesting that, you know, really they could equally take the stocks back from you, but historically it's margin loans and these sort of things that, that yeah, have that extra element of risk when you try and borrow into stocks. It's, a, it's an interesting, I don't know, just way the market's unfolded there that I, I sort of scratch my head on a little bit at times. <laughs> No, um, so I I will be honest and say that um, I f- perused over this section uh, fairly quickly. Uh, to, some of it was just uh, trying to get my mind around what the chapter really was was focusing on. And you you talk a, a bit about borrowing and and the strategies around that. I actually did a podcast a couple maybe it was last fall with somebody who. Uh, would love this chapter because she she was uh, somebody who has really really and she would have answered a strongly. She had she has built her and her husband have built their wealth on developing uh, real estate and and rental properties by taking their first home and literally lopping it in two to create uh, a duplex that was not a duplex. And, you know, that was their first venture. And then they, they leveraged that to then take their next step into buying more. And, you know, and it just went from there and they had to be very creative, um, in, in, uh, because it is challenging, especially when you're buying for investment purposes, sometimes, um, a little challenging to, to get banks to get behind you, but you talked you talked about like fixed versus uh, variable interest rates, and again, terms that we weren't necessarily uh, taught unless we pursued it, and even the cost of being a property investor. Yeah, I think that's overlooked. And and just before we dive in there too, Amy, the, the fact that you kind of skimmed this section is actually good because that's that's what I sort of intended that you did the self assessment. Uh, uh, piece, and in your case, being a financial planner, you'd already reflected on it anyway. But you identified that look, property is not really that interesting for me. Perfect. Skip that section, you know. I, I, and, and you might recall I had it pretty early on. You know, this is mm-hmm. it's not Lord of the Rings. You don't have to read it from front <laughs> to back and and jump around and jump to the sections that are relevant to you and that are going to have the most impact. So, I, I love the fact that uh, right, property is not your thing. The fact that you even glanced at it, I'm impressed at. So, <laughs> <laughs> I um, like to feel educated. Like I'm going to talk to somebody about it. But, you know, but like, yeah, oh. I, guess, I guess you know, it, it's it's um, it's not a homework project, you know, it's about you finding what's going to be useful and what you can take out of things. So, um, but yeah, look, you're right that for people that are pursuing property, particularly the cost of owning the property is something that is really worth uh, running your numbers on before you enter into the transaction because property transactions, uh, and, and, and obviously there are differences between uh, Australia and the US, but nevertheless, there's plenty of similarities too. There are a lot of costs associated with owning a property and 
you want to go into the transaction understanding that and, and being able to do your sums on, well, gee, if I, if I collect this much in rent, uh, is that going to work given the outgoings of the, the loan that I've got uh, plus all the, the property taxes and the utilities bills and these sort of things? Uh, you need to understand that going in, and um, and so yeah, that's why you know we've got a table there and we've got some some tools to to help people uh, cover that off. And one of the things that um, one of the things that did stand out to me, this will be no surprise to anybody, was there was a, a page where you talked about the rental yield. Mm. Like now, that's something I could get behind, like in showing people, you know, <laughs> um, when sometimes people forget about some of the things you just mentioned when they think, oh, I'm going to have all this, you know, income stream, but they forget there's also expenses that go along with that. But but I did, you know, I was it was um, because this talks about calculating the rental yield, right? So, um, so for people that are looking at, um, you know, how much of a profit is this actually going to be? Or if I was working with somebody and they asked me this question, like, is it a good investment? This is very helpful to walk through that exercise so that they understand uh, what is it potentially that they're going to yield on this property. If it's going to be, you know, 1.2%, then (laughs) you'd be thinking, well, is that really a good investment versus something that's, you know, four or five or 6% would that now that's a return on your money. Yeah. And it, and it also hopefully makes you think because uh, I guess to the same extent, your return on stocks is a combination of your dividend plus the capital right. growth. When you think about property, your return is your rental yield plus the capital appreciation. Now, if your rental yield is really low, then you need to be pretty confident that you're going to get very strong capital appreciation, capital growth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, by by being cognizant of your rental yield, it can then make you reflect on, okay, well, this is a relative to the other investment options that I've got, this one perhaps is a lower rental yield. Does that make sense? And maybe it does because maybe you say, yeah, well, it's in a, a geographic region or something where there's going to be a lot of population growth and therefore a lot of, uh, of uh, increase in value of the property. So I'm prepared to accept a lower yield. But if you reflect on that and think, actually, mm. I'm not, I'm not, I don't feel strongly on that, well, then you, know, you can go back and say, all right, well, maybe there are other options that are, that are a better way to go. And um, also talking about, um, I guess f- we'll we'll move on to the next chapter. But also one of the things that you bring up is property managers. You know, I did make the comment earlier about the thought of me even beginning to have property, and mm. like to me, it you know in my mind just that that ties me down. If for someone to you know that was my own mental sort of barrier. But you do get into talking about property managers for people that don't necessarily want to be tied down by the property that they own. So again, another section to, to sort of dig into if people are interested in that particular particular area. Absolutely. Um, and then, and then finally, well, not finally, but talking about self-employment, uh, I, I mentioned at the opening that that's a scary thing for a lot of people. Mm. But when you dig into the ways that you can be self-employed. It doesn't have to be scary. And um, there's things like side hustles. Uh, you know, I, I like that you, you use the word idea validation and strategy. As you've worked with people over the years, and as you were writing this chapter, what, and, and I, I know, <laughs> I know as you were writing this portion of it too, you, you actually mentioned uh, COVID-19 as, as a, you know, something that is going on as you're, as you're writing this. But there were, I think there were a lot of people that had to get creative during this period of time that had to come up with some side hustles and had to become self-employed to a certain extent, or, you know, needed to do stuff like that during that period of time, because their primary job that they were used to failed them. Yeah. I I mean, on the positive, I think, we're in a better position to be self-employed than, than we've ever been due to the internet and, and the capability of things that we can do in the cloud. And I know, and, and I think you guys there in, in the States are, are ahead of us here in Australia in terms of uh, perhaps, you know, more contractor type roles and a bit more mm-hmm. uh, independence uh, and, and working from home and these sort of things. But um, it, it certainly, all the data I've seen suggests that it's an increasing trend. And, and I do wonder uh, particularly at, at the moment where businesses are, uh, are having staff work from home, uh, 
whether it continues to make sense to necessarily have people continue as an employee if, if they've found that actually working from home is good and we're going to stick with that because if you're an employer, you've got obligations in terms of your, your, your team members' occupational health and safety and these type of things which are pretty hard to monitor if they're at home. Um, mm-hmm. And really given that there's no oversight in, in a physical sense if they're working from home, then it doesn't really matter if they do their work between eight o'clock and five o'clock or whatever mm-hmm. business hours are. They can do it through until midnight if that's what suits them. And if they're working mm-hmm. from home and, and just delivering a certain output, then as the employer, you know, whatever. So then it kind of gets you to thinking, well, do these people, is an employee position actually still relevant or should they be more of a, a contractor and I just pay them from an out, for an outcome? Uh, and then maybe as the employer don't have, as I say, some of those health and safety type obligations and, and some of these other issues. So, so my sense is, that, and look, I think most office workers when, when COVID goes away will go back into the office because they like the social aspect and, and there's all sorts <laughs> of benefits of being in an office. But I'm sure there will be a proportion who find that actually that's not what we want. Uh, and, and, you know, maybe they want to, like, like you do, Amy, you know, live live in a different location, maybe not in a big CBD area or something where real estate's expensive. So uh, I think the, pu- the push towards self-employment, uh, certainly I don't see it diminishing and I would expect it would increase. Uh, and so, a- and that presents some exciting opportunities, um, mm-hmm. again, around that choice and that flexibility and things like being able to, uh, you know, move to the seaside or a rural area or, or these type of opportunities, uh, flexibility around family commitments and, and participation in family life. Um, you know, this is, there's some exciting things there. Obviously, you've got to think about career development and some of these type of issues that maybe you miss out on if you're not an employee. So, there's a balance to be struck. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's interesting times. And, and again, with that, that overall theme of how do we gain choice, well, f- for certain people, uh, self-employment can be a great way to do that. Mm-hmm. I, I remember how scared I was when I made that decision. I, I laid in bed at night thinking over and over in my head, is this the right thing? Is this the right thing? Is this the right thing? And now, you know, I've, I've joked with people and said, now I'm unemployable. <laughs> yeah. uh, now, <laughs> Hard to go back, yeah. isn't it? You can't imagine having oh. lost again. Um, you know, I have, I have, I feel like all my clients are my boss, you know, in a way, but, but they are all, they all know that at our firm family comes first. And and if I explain to them that something came up or, you know, I have to go to, I have a dentist appointment or doctor's appointment. They're like, yeah, no, no problem. Like I don't have to justify that kind of stuff. Mm. And, um, I think sometimes they beg me to take time off, (laughs) you know, (laughs) Uh, I just think, uh, and I, and I really think that that's true, uh, you know, with the schedule that I keep because, uh, I tend to be a very early morning focused person. So it's not uncommon for me to be up at five o'clock in the morning and working, right. but come six thirty or so I'm done. Like, mm-hmm. that's it. I, I just don't, I don't have it in me anymore, but you know, that's an 11 hour day, you know, or 12 hour yeah. day. It's totally reasonable. Yeah. So, um, you know, that, but that allowing myself to work in those times. And, and that means that sometimes in the middle of the day, I go do something else, you know, I, I'm not working or whatever. I just think that those working with my own rhythm, my own body rhythm just makes me a happier person. And yeah. so and that's sort of to my point that a lot of people are getting a taste of that right now, courtesy of mm-hmm. COVID. And maybe having to go back to the office and conform to a particular schedule mm-hmm. is, is, is going to jar. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, there maybe there's some changes in the wind there. Yeah, I think so. And from a standpoint of um, being able to do it your way, I think that's one of the things about self-employment that I've enjoyed the most is that although it was so nerve-wracking to me when I did it, I still... Uh, I'm able to provide financial planning in a way that I was never able to provide it under any other, you know, particular employer. Mm. And so that's why I say, you know, I feel like at this point in time, I'm, I'm unemployable, <laughs> you know, because uh, if I was to try to go to work for another company, I know I'd just be hitting my, my head against the wall. So I do think um, one of the things that you uh, mentioned in that section uh, is, you 
you know, putting together a business plan, um, making sure that you understand what, what the problem is that you're solving. You give some good tips around that. Um, how will people learn about what you're offering? And then uh, establishing um, an origin story, right? So I think that is really important. Why did you start your, just out of, you know, to, for people that might not recall, but why did you start your own company as an example? It's funny because you touched on it earlier around, uh, you didn't use the word compromise, but essentially that's what, as an employee, that's what you end up having to do. Uh, so I had been a financial planner at, at a large bank here in Australia and, uh, yeah, look, really just wanted to do it my own way. I guess as a mm-hmm. uh, the bank at the end of the day, they're a product manufacturer and as a financial planner, uh, really, mm-hmm. when you boil it down, you're employed to to sell their products, quite quite frankly. And uh, I guess that's not what I wanted to continue to do and not what really I saw the best use of a financial planner mm-hmm. uh, uh, delivering. So, yeah, moving to self-employment was largely very much like you, Amy, around – uh, seeing a way that I thought it should be done and wanting to be able to do it that way and not be compromised by a big corporate uh, with with uh, different motivations. So I think knowing your why, I guess, is why you're doing this is, is probably one of the most critical pieces. And there's other parts that people can examine if they, they want to come become self-employed. I want to be uh, courteous of your time and I want to thank you so much for, for walking through you know, the top the top areas, there's so much more, so many more nuggets in this book uh, that uh, I think people can really gain um, knowledge about uh, in talking about even like retirement savings thrown in there. I mean, there's just, there's tons and tons and tons of nuggets that are thrown in this book. So um, the one, I loved that your book had actions. I loved that there was a section that had a call for action and it has a nice little checklist in there (laughs) that that people can, you know, I I mean, if they're anything like me, if they love to cross things off the list or check things off the list, this was perfect. I got to the the back part and I'm like, oh, a man after my own heart. He's got action (laughs) lists in there. (laughs) And, and the other thing too, you might recall that there's we've got a like there's a, a downloadable workbook you can get too, which um, has all the different tables and that sort of stuff. So that uh, mm-hmm. which also helps people take action, uh, but also sometimes I mean. Personally, I don't like writing in books. Uh, it just feels feels wrong. Right. But but even irrespective, I mean, it's just a bit inconvenient. And if you're reading, you know, the Kindle version or something like that, it doesn't work at all. So um, yeah, to help people take action, there is we've got a PDF version of the of all the worksheets too that people can get for free. So uh, yeah, trying to do what we can to to have an impact and and yeah, enable people to to put the information to use, not just kind of read it and then put it down and move on to the next book. So where can people get this book? Uh, well, it should be available everywhere. I'm, I would imagine Amazon.com, uh, you can certainly order it there and, and wherever else uh, good books are found, I would hope, but certainly it's on Amazon. Perfect. And if people want to learn more about, because you do have some, um, I call them book boot camp classes as well. Sometimes, I mean, it, 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 you know, I don't know where people are listening to this all over the world. So if mm. they, they want to check you out and I mean, cash flow is cash flow is cash flow, right? I mean, That's no it. matter what country you're in, <laughs> um, cash flow comes down to cash flow. And so if people want to learn more about that, I think they can find some information on your website. Is that correct? Yeah, that's it. So financialautonomy.com.au. So the AU is for mm. Australia. So yeah, financialautonomy.com.au. Check us out. And uh, yeah, we've got, there's a weekly podcast, a weekly email, uh, as you mentioned, a couple of little online courses as well. Um, so, yeah, lots of ways that we try and uh, help people gain choice. Well, thank you for taking the time, number one, to talk with us. Number two, for writing this, I think, fairly comical book. I mean, there were parts of it that actually made me chuckle. So, thank you. That's like, that's, <laughs> that's um, huge because I think sometimes, you know, financial books are very dry, but you've, you've thrown some um, great, little comments in there. You've referenced uh, recordings that you've had from different podcasts that you've recorded over the years uh, as further way of people getting more information. And we're very excited uh, that you, you um, 
that you release this and that you're uh, sharing your knowledge and experience experiences, I guess you want to say, with the world and, and your talent. So, uh, so glad your vineyard and my vineyard crossed at the, fin- <laughs> the FinCon conference over a year ago. Sadly, it was about this time uh, last year that we actually met. And unfortunately right. this year, you know, it's so sad that we're not going anywhere or doing anything. But That's right. Um, Hopefully 2021, we get to catch up again, huh? That's right. I hope so. Keep me posted on your travel plans. Yeah. Uh, but again, thank you so much, Paul, for for being on the show and for sharing your uh, for sharing your book for listeners. Uh, if you comment on this podcast, if you're the first to comment, I will order uh, an edition of this book and have it sent to your home. So please make sure to share, like, or comment, and uh, you will get a copy of Paul's book on me. So thank you so much. Fantastic. Thanks once again for having me on, Amy. I really appreciate it. And that will about do it for today's episode of Wine and Dime. You can contact Amy through the website, www.rootedpg.com or amy at rootedpg.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at rootedpg for the latest news. And if you have any questions, comments, or topics you would like to hear about, feel free to let us know. And don't forget to rate and subscribe the show wherever you get your podcasts. And again, thank you for listening and be sure to tune in next time.